book lover. I am so glad you are here listening to my award-winning podcast, Thoughts from a Page, which is a member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. This show is a passion project for me, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoy making it. I only interview authors whose books I have read and enjoyed, so if I am chatting with an author on the main show, it means that I really liked their book and feel comfortable recommending it to you. With so many books coming out weekly, it can be hard to decide what to read, so I work hard to find the best ones and share them with you. For more book recommendations and to find my backlist of interviews, visit my website at thoughtsfromapage.com. Are you looking for an engaging book community with unique bonus content? If so, I hope you will consider joining my Patreon community, which is filled with a wonderful group of readers. I offer three levels, page turners, lit lovers, and royal readers, and each level provides all sorts of cool bonus book content that you will not find elsewhere. If you're interested or want more information, the link to join is in my show notes. Today, Elena Armas returns to chat with me about the long game. Elena is a Spanish writer, a self-confessed hopeless romantic, and a proud book hoarder. Now she's also the author of an international bestseller, Goodreads Awards winner, and soon-to-be-adapted film, The Spanish Love Deception, an instant New York Times and Sunday Times bestseller, The American Roommate Experiment. I hope you enjoy our conversation. And now for a quick break. For the last year, I have been focusing more on my health and my eating habits. In connection with that, I have started drinking AG1 in the morning. I first gave AG1 a try because I needed more energy. Since drinking AG1 daily, I have definitely felt more energized. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre- and probiotics, and more, but it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water, once a day, every day. I know with AG1, I'm giving my body high-quality nutrition. Every batch of AG1 goes through a rigorous testing process, so you know it is safe. And AG1 ingredients are sourced for absorption, potency, and nutrient density. AG1 is the supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and I am really happy to have them sponsoring my show. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash thoughts from a page. That's drinkag1.com slash thoughts from a page. Check it out. Welcome, Elena. I am so glad you're back on my show again. How are you? I'm good. I'm just happy to be here. So thank you for having me again. I loved our conversation last time, and I still tell people they need to go back and listen to it. So I'm thrilled to pieces that we get to chat again. I am super thrilled too. Very excited. <laughs> well, I'm a huge fan of yours, and so is my 20-year-old daughter. Every single time I get a galley of your book, she grabs it before I can even read it and zips right through it. And then is like, mom, you've got to read this one. It's even better than the last one. So she is a huge fan of yours. And I was telling you ahead of time that you're going to be in New York and she will be back in New York and hopefully is going to get to come see you on the tour. So that's really exciting. That that makes me so happy. I just, <laughs> I mean, when you were telling me earlier, I, I just, it really, I had goosebumps down my arms. It makes me so happy. And I mean, she has, she has good taste. I, I can say that. <laughs> she definitely does. And the other thing that's happening that she's bummed about is that you are going to Larkin Owl, which is one of my very favorite Texas bookstores with Allie Hazelwood, who's another one of her favorite people. But it's after she's gone back to New York, so we cannot drive over to Larkin Owl and see the two of you together. But she's very excited to see you in New York. 
Well, I hope I get to see her um, in New York. As I as I said earlier, I fingers crossed that she can make it. And next time, I will try <laughs> to pull Ali to New York. If she's there, I mean, I don't know if there will be a next time. Ali is a very busy woman, uh, and I love her books too, by the way. Um, but yeah, I mean, book events, right? They're just they're just so ha- they're happy moments. They're 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 amazing. That's why I love doing them, especially with other authors, because you can really you, you get to know so many people and so many like different readers through these events. So, anyways, I'm rambling right now. <laughs> Oh, no, I think that's exactly right. And I follow Larkin Owl. I get their emails. And so I'd seen months ago that they had booked the two of you all and they scored big. What a great event. Yeah, actually, um, I mean, this is obviously, I think <laughs> it's all, I mean, I guess it's like a joint force between the two of us, between Ali and I, but it's mostly her. I have to say her, her readership is absolutely bananas. Like it's huge and very well deserved. But um, when I announced the event with Ali (laughs) in Austin, I think it sold out like pretty much immediately. It was like only a few hours, if not one hour, I'm not sure. And the amazing team at the bookstore, they actually changed the venue so we could like get more people to come uh, to see us. So I am so thankful for that. Because the more, the better for me. I just love events, as I said earlier. And the more people are there, the more happy I am after. So I am just very thankful that I get to do this with Ali and the, the rest of super incredible authors that I that I have on tour. And that people come see me. I mean, that is just such joy. And I'm very grateful. It really is. It adds so much to the enjoyment of a book. Whether you hear the author talk ahead of time or afterwards, I feel like it always enhances my reading and my enjoyment of a story. It's a fun, I mean, I'm happy to hear that. It's a fun thing that I never got to experience as a reader, actually, because having read, like my favorite authors were in the US and I was based in, I have always been based in Europe. So I never got to do this as a reader. And now that I am on the other side, it makes me obviously happy to hear like the experiences from readers when they go to events as much as experiencing them from the other side as an author. Uh, But I'm curious. I'm curious to go to one as a reader still. I think one day, maybe. (laughs) But everybody will be recognizing you and be like, you need to get up here. (laughs) No, I don't think so. (laughs) I think I'm not there yet. I think I'm still, I, I, I still have some, what's? Anonymity. Yeah, anonymity. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Let's talk about the long game. Will you give me a quick synopsis for those that won't have read it yet? Ooh, this is my least favorite question. I'm sorry. (laughs) It can be very quick. You can do like three sentences. It's about soccer. Two people fall in love. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, basically, you've you've. That's a good summary. So I'm gonna take that. Yes. So the long game is my small town baby as I like to call it people assume that it's like a soccer romance but I don't really consider it a soccer romance like it does have soccer but it's like more of you know a sprinkle here and there it doesn't revolve completely around it it's more of a small town setting for you know cozy cabin fever vibes (laughs) 
But anyways, it does it does have a lot of soccer elements, as I was saying. One of the main characters, the male lead, is a retired soccer player, a professional from England. So a pretty pretty big deal, we can say. And the female lead is also a soccer executive, so an exec who has been disgraced um, <laughs> from her life and her job. And they meet in this small town that I was talking about, and they are forced to work together um, on a team who happens to be an under-10, you know, little league team. So chaos and romance ensue after that, um, as you might yeah, might have imagined. <laughs> well, and I think people are seizing on the soccer aspects because your book keeps getting analogized to Ted Lasso and things like that, because that show has been so popular. And then recently, with all of this drama with the poor women's Spanish soccer team. Oh, gosh. There's a lot of soccer in the news. And I know those poor women. And I was just thinking about you because you are Spanish. And then the soccer aspects of it. I thought there's just been a lot in the news and media related to soccer lately. And so I'm sure that that aspect of your story is also being seized on. Yeah, I mean, I understand. I get it. I I don't think I will get into, into the scandal of the soccer of the national team with this whole silly, you know, not silly. I mean, it shouldn't even happen at, at this day and age. Uh, I just find it so baffling, to be honest, that we are even like experiencing this at this point. But anyways, um, but yes, about the Ted Lasso parallels, I, I do see it. And the funny thing is that like, I agree with that comparison to the long game. I think it has a lot of similar um, themes, you know, that are explored in the novel that are also like talked about in the show. And funny enough, when I was binging Ted Lasso as every everyone else did, I also like for some reason, like sure, it is a soccer show, but at the same time, it's not really about that. Like it's about more. So that's also something that it has in common with this book. Like it has soccer, but it's about like a lot more. It's not just the soccer. As much as I know that's a selling point at the moment, <laughs> which I love, but the novel explores like a lot of things that are unrelated to sport, which is great in romance, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> exactly. I think those parallels that you're describing are exactly right because Ted Lasso is sort of a story about soccer, but it's really a story about community and a team, and a family, and found family. I mean, there's so many things happening there. And your story is the same way. It has soccer as a background, but there's a lot of other things happening. And yes, it is just horrifying in this day and age that things like what just happened to this poor female soccer player are still happening. But it's not like that is an isolated incident. Unfortunately, over and over again, these crazy things keep happening. And we all keep saying, how is that happening in 2023? So someday, hopefully, we will get to the point where we don't all have to be horrified over and over again. I hope so. Yeah, I hope so. Someday. I hope so, too. Yeah, someday. Exactly. So tell me about writing your third book. I know your first book was A Different Journey. And so then your second book, you already had partially or fully written, correct, when you moved over to Atria? So was this the first book that you wrote once you had the publishing contract? Yes, it is. And it was, I think... In my specific journey, every book that I've written has been so different from the one before. 
it's just like I, I when people ask me, oh, which book was harder or easier to write? I have no answer to that question because I literally, I generally, I cannot tell because every one of the books were such a different experience, like top to bottom, like <laughs> absolutely different. That makes sense. And you did have a different publishing journey. So I'm sure by the time you got to this one, you were probably approaching it a little differently. Oh, yes. Yes. No, that's, of course, yeah. I mean, this The Long Game is the first book that I write completely within, like, the traditional publishing world. So I had, like, I followed the whole process from the beginning to the end. That is the first book that I ever got to do that. So it was very, I mean, I don't, I don't want to use the word. It was hard, but it was like I struggled um, because it was so, again, every book was different, but this one probably was the most different from the three of them. And I mean, I am lucky that I got to learn a lot. It, I struggled throughout the process, but I think it also, it also helped me like, come a long way after I finished and now for example that I'm working on a new book because you know the clock never stops <laughs> um, now that I'm working on a new book that is again fully um, within the traditional publishing world so I'm working with the same editor and it's gonna follow the same process I'm finding myself a little bit more like I know what I'm doing something that I was like lacking previously it's something that I was even scared to think or say or admit like I know what I'm doing like this is something that I've said a lot in interviews like I, I always say I have no idea what I'm doing now for the first time I think with this fourth book I'm learning like I'm feeling a little bit more secure in what I'm doing and all of that is thanks to what I experienced right in the long game well, and I guess as you're speaking, I'm thinking maybe we should back up a little bit for those that didn't listen to your earlier interview or maybe aren't familiar with your work. So talk about how you began. I know your story, but everybody else may not. Can you give just a quick synopsis of starting from the beginning and what happened? Of course. <laughs> so my debut, The Spanish of Deception, I self-published. So I did not write or edit or publish with a publishing house I did on my own. And a few months after um, the book was on sale, so out in the world, it got viral, I guess we can say, on TikTok. And it was like the first domino piece to like fall and basically change my life. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to be dramatic, but it really, it really did like my life flipped my career flipped um, I did like a complete 180 after that because um, the book got picked up by a publisher I also signed with an agent I could quit my uh, full-time job which was unrelated to writing or books or literature I am an engineer so so yeah so that's like the first that that's what happened with my first book and then um when they acquired the Spanish Love Deception, they also did the sequel. Well, it's not a sequel. Let's say like a companion novel. It's more of a duet. So it's their standalones, both of them. But the draft for that book was already more or less written. It was finished, the first draft for that book, when the deal was signed. 
So that was, again, like another book that I had written on my own, but that then it was like dropped into this traditional world. Like I was not a self-published author anymore. So I got to like work with an editor on a draft that had already been written or kind of done by the time that I that was picked up. And then with the third book, that was in a new contract, so in a new book deal. And I got to develop the idea and to write the book and publish it like completely um, with my publisher. So as you see, um, that is the explanation to my answer to the previous question. They are very, very different experiences. And now that I am on book four and I got to like learn from every one of the previous ones, I finally am able to say that I'm... I'm a little bit like I know more or less what I'm doing, kind of. <laughs> the Spanish Love Deception had already been out in the world, as you said, self-published, was a Goodreads Choice nominee. I think maybe, did it win? It was a winner. Yeah, it was a winner. Yeah, it was a winner. That's what I was thinking. And then Atria picked it up. So they pretty much just took it, didn't do a lot with it, maybe copy edited it a little bit, but published it because it had already been out in the world. So the process for how each book was handled was vastly different than the second one went through editing, but it was ready to go. But then when you're writing the long game, you're writing it within this process, working with your editor, your agent from the beginning. So it's all kind of different. I just thought that would be interesting for people to hear your journey because it's a little different than other people's journeys. Oh, yes, it's completely. Yeah, it's completely different. And it is. I mean, now you see more of these um using more of these similar journeys with with publishing houses picking up like a lot of self-published books for sure it's it, like it's it's happening more often than when it happened to me i think um like it kind of started more or less around 2021 which was when the spanish love deception was picked up by atria but now it's a pretty common occurrence i would say like at least being inside the world, I see it happening more than when it happened to me, which um, I, I didn't have like many people to go to be like, what should I do? I don't know what is happening, <laughs> uh, which was pretty much where my head was at uh, when the whole thing happened, um, because it's a pretty, it's like, a, it's a pretty intense thing to happen to you. And it was a very intense journey. And Actually, I think uh, only recently I've like calmed down from the cloud I was basically writing since <laughs> 2021. I've just realized what actually happened. This had to be an incredible whirlwind. And the other component that we didn't touch on was that you were a romance book blogger with a very large following. So the other aspect was that you had read and reviewed so many romance books. So you knew what to look for and you knew the tropes and you knew kind of the process for what readers were looking for in romance novels? Yeah, I guess I think when I wrote The Spanish Love Deception, I was never thinking of what readers were looking for, but I was just sure of what I wanted in a book. So I applied that to writing and I had never taken like a creative writing course. I like I had never properly learned to write or, you know, to publish or self-publish a book. I, again, like when I said, like back in the day when I would do interviews and say, I literally had no idea what I was doing. I really had no idea what I was doing. I was just, 
I was just going with my gut and I was applying instinct and I had read, as you said, I had read and reviewed so many books that I I really like I knew what I wanted in my book and it just took a little bit of craziness, you know, and <laughs> bravery to say, Yeah, I can do this, I can write a book. That's how I was seeing things back in that moment, I think. I wish I wish I had like written my thoughts in a diary or something because now I would love to like read that and see what the heck I was thinking. <laughs> but I never wrote that and now it's, everything is like a bit of a blur. Um but I do remember writing and doing that with no expectations and no goal, no objective except, you know, writing a book just because I thought I could. And is very cocky of me, <laughs> but it it worked out well. So <laughs> I'm going to pat myself on the back on that. <laughs> well, you should. But I think when you read and review so many, you have a very good sense for what works and what doesn't work, or at least what you feel works for you and what doesn't work for you. So that's what you're saying. You're writing for you, but for the things you felt, okay, this is what I love in a book, or this is what I don't love in a book. And clearly that resonated with people. Yeah, it, yeah, I'm very lucky that um, so many people loved Spanish Love Deception. Yeah. It was definitely a surprise, but like obviously a good one. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> well, what surprised you the most about the publishing process? I know you said you finally feel like you've come down a little bit from it. I'm sure you have thought a lot about it. Was there something that you didn't expect or that went differently than you thought it might? So... The thing, I mean, I have to preface this by saying that I didn't know anything about the publishing world. Like, all I knew was how to self-publish, which which is like major, it is vastly different to how things work in a publishing house. And that I learned. So I was already like new to that world. But about how people would get, an, not people, like writers, how writers would get an agent or how, like, what was the job of an editor or the time that a book took to get printed, like this kind of stuff. I knew nothing. So everything was new to me and I knew nothing. I only knew like a few stereotypes. That's a better way to put it. I only knew like a few stereotypes, a few things that I might have read like on Twitter or social media. Like I was not well versed in publishing at all. I was basically in diapers, like a baby. I got to learn everything. And one of the things that not shocked me, but surprised me because I think is one of the stereotypes or one of the misconceptions that I had read about or I had like stumbled upon was the fact that an editor tells you what to do and, you know, it like forbids you of doing certain things or, you know, you have to ask for permission as a writer to do other things. Like, I feel like that's some kind of misconception or maybe it's a fear that some people have. Somehow it got like transferred into me unconsciously. So it was like a, it was a surprise when I started working with my editor. And, you know, I realized that it's, it's not that kind of relationship. The relationship is about working together and your editor is going to make suggestions that you can either take or not. And you're not forbidden of doing anything like it's more of a collaboration between the creative mind and 
you know, the mind that's well-versed in editing and that is paying attention to different things than you might be paying attention to. So that was like a nice realization, I would say, and a good thing that I learned because uh, compared to when you self-publish a book, you're on your own, like you have someone or you should have someone to copy edit your book, to correct it, obviously, to proofread it. But you don't have that collaborative work with an editor unless, you know, you go to other roles like a critique partner or like a better reader, all that stuff that I will not get into. But it's, it's all a collaboration. And that's like, I think, is a pretty common misconception from what I've seen online. I think that's right. And I think, as you said, generally, an editor is much more collaborative and brings often a wealth of experience about the market and the readership and different things like that. They're just really trying to make your book better. But if you're pushing back and saying, you know, this aspect is really important to me, they're not going to say, okay, you must pull it out. They're going to be like, great, leave it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I am known for writing like long scenes, long chapters, long books in general. That that was one of the biggest criticisms of the Spanish of Deception that I saw as an author, like from readers. And I'm working hard at not fixing that, but like maybe polishing that aspect of my writing. And for example, my editor um, has to trim like a lot of the things that I write in general. And to go back to revisit the fact that it's all a collaboration in the long game, um, there was like a certain scene um, that I was suggested to cut out of the book. And I was very attached to it. And like the point my editor was making is this is not adding anything to the story besides just being there. Which I was objectively, I, I was seeing that, but I was very attached to the scene and I was like, nope, I think it's staying. Like, and I got, I didn't even need to be stubborn about it. I just said that I would rather the scene to be in the book and that was accepted. Like, as I said, it's all a suggestion. I'm glad I left it, to be honest. <laughs> um, it's one of my favorite scenes. So, but anyways. <laughs> well, and I think that's important. I mean, it is your book. And so it's important if there was something like that, that you felt was an integral part of the story, it's great you speak up and it's great they listen. Yes, yes, definitely. So if anyone is like asking themselves, oh my gosh, um, how does that work? Is your editor going to boss, uh, like boss you around? No, they're not. They are really not. They're just there for, you know, for you and to help. Absolutely. Well, Elena, before we wrap up, what have you read recently that you really liked? Oh, so I have been reading. So I was lucky enough to get an advanced copy of Lana Ferguson's new novel. She released recently The Nanny, which is like a contemporary rom-com about a single dad and a nanny, as the title <laughs> implies. Um, and now her next book is like a paranormal rom-com and is like the perfect mix between the two worlds is called The Fake Mate and is about shapeshifters, so werewolves um, who are doctors, ER doctors. And it is it is amazing. It really has like the best things from both worlds. It has all these paranormal elements that we love from that genre. And then 
it has like all the rom-com vibes and to anyone who's listening who has read the spanish of deception and loved aaron blackford they're gonna love the hero in this story because it's like as if aaron blackford was a werewolf and an <laughs> er doctor uh, it, it really it really is um they would be best friends <laughs> so yeah so i recommend that to anybody who's like um, in the mood to try something different, maybe from contemporary. And if anyone is like looking for a contemporary romance, they can read Lana's previous book, um, The Nanny, who's like super, you know, it's also a rom com, is super fun, is a very exciting read. Um, and by exciting, I obviously mean steamy. No, it's wonderful. Um, so I really, yeah, I really recommend those two. Okay, good. Thank you. I'm not familiar with her, so I'll have to look her up. Oh, please do. And let me know how it goes. <laughs> I will. Elena, thank you so much for coming back on my show. It's always so wonderful to chat with you. And I can't wait for everybody to read The Long Game. Oh, thank you so much. And I hope uh, I hope I get to see your daughter in New York. Fingers crossed that she can make it. And um, I hope I get to be back for the next one, too. I hope so as well. And I hope you get to see Emily in New York as well. Oh, thank you. My name's Adam Sokol, and I'm the host of the Passions and Prologues podcast. Every week, best-selling authors like Jenny Jackson, Rebecca Mackay, Lisa Scottolini, or Brad Meltzer come on to my show to talk about, yes, their new books, but more importantly, the things that they're crazy passionate about. We've talked about the Muppets, powerlifting, traveling, gardening, home improvement, and so much more. We dig into why these things are their passions, how they inspire their writing, and where they came to fall in love with these random assorted things. Be sure to subscribe to the Passions and Prologues podcast wherever you get your podcasts, and check out evergreenpodcast.com to learn more. You know, a lot can happen in seven minutes, and luckily, that's how long it takes me to tell a story. My name is Aaron Calafato, and I'm the creator of 7-Minute Stories. I'm proud to partner with Evergreen Podcasts, and I'd like to invite you to join me on this journey. I'm going to take you on some crazy roller coaster rides using my unique extemporaneous storytelling style. And together, we're going to try to make sense of the world, all through the art of storytelling and all in approximately seven minutes. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I would love to connect with you on Instagram or Facebook, where you can find me at Thoughts from a Page. If you enjoy the show, please consider joining my Patreon group to access bonus content and support the podcast. If you have a moment to rate the show or subscribe to it wherever you listen to your podcasts, I would really appreciate it. It makes a big difference. And please tell all of your friends about Thoughts from a Page. Word of mouth does wonders to help the show grow. The book discussed in this episode can be purchased at my bookshop storefront, and the link is in the show notes. I hope you'll tune in next time. Marie Kelly. Wild Precious Life is a podcast about dreaming big, digging in and connecting across distance, division, and loss. In each episode, I talk with prize-winning writers, musicians, and wanderers who remind all of us how we can make the most of the time we have. So meet me here. Let's walk and talk and dream and discover what it means to be wild, precious, and brave. 